AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology in school, and guess what? I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. What do animals do when they're mad? From skunking to squeaking to outright bluffing, we're talking some peeved little critters who have just about had it with the bull honky. We'll find out why you don't want to get on the bad side of skunks, sea hares, squeaking frogs, stuck-up stick bugs, and many other furious creatures. Discover this more as we answer the age-old question, are owls just cats with wings? Joining me today to get angry is cartoonist, TV writer, and filmmaker, Anna Salinas. Welcome! Hi, I'm so happy to be here. I was inspired to do this episode about angry animals because your dog is mad at you right now. I, I heard through the, the grapevine, the dog <laughs> rumor mill. It's true, uh, and it's a vicious dog rumor mill. But my dog, Edie, is a puppy. She's six months old. She just got spayed, and she has to wear a cone. And, like, she's the How cutest, happiest puppy, and she's so f***ing <laughs> pissed right now. Like, <laughs> she just glares at me she keeps getting stuff stuck in her cone like yeah bones get stuck <laughs> but she's like chewing on it's a really miserable uh time for a dog to be yeah. in that cone and it's all your fault 
And, <laughs> and I feel guilty. I'm like, I'm sorry. You monster. But it's the law. I had to do it. You monster. How could you put her in a cone? Look, all she yeah. wants to do is like chew at her stitches. So you have to keep bringing her back in. But no, you got to make she her look like a. She wants to chew them. So Like bad. a ridiculous martini glass. How yeah, dare you? Yeah, she does look like a martini. <laughs> Um, how does she how does she express her frustration and, and indignation with you? She'll sigh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that it's a dog thing. Like she will. First of all, she'll try to itch and can't. And then we'll like kind of freak out and go in circles. Yeah. And then we'll just stop and go. <sighs> yep. And, yep. And then look up at me like you did this to me <laughs> and I'll never forget you and be traumatized forever. And on the floor yeah yeah no my dog has mastered that angry sigh where she her thing is if i'm not if i stop playing with her at any point like mm-hmm. when she wants to play like we can have been playing and playing and then i i stop and then she will put her little chin right next to whatever toy it is that that i mm-hmm. am not cooperating and throwing around and look at me and just go <sighs> yep and it's meant to hurt me yeah, right. And that's I think that's what it is. It's like see me. Look see what you're me doing what to I me. Feel. Look what you're doing to me, you monster. Well, yeah. today we are talking about the ways animals communicate to you that they are angry or scared. Usually anger and fear are very connected in in the animal kingdom and I would say in human psychology too. It they're very linked. Like when yeah. you're scared, you get mad sometimes you get so mad, you get scared. You know, it's like it, they're they're very actually similar emotions. And and I think fear can lead to anger. And so a lot of these anger responses that you see in animals is mm-hmm. maybe more accurately described as a fear response, but they that they channel that fear into this like angry response to try to protect themselves, to try to ward off predators, which sure. I mean, I, I feel like if you... Uh, really psychoanalyze some humans. That's probably the reason for a lot of anger in our own society too, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, as you're describing that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that pretty much describes uh, a fringe political movements. <laughs> That's what a lot yeah. of people who are very afraid and then come together in anger. Yes. I, yeah, couldn't have put it better myself. It is, mm-hmm. look, and we can see that in the animal kingdom. So we're not alone in our horrible French book. Okay, maybe we yeah. are. Maybe we are a little bit. Yeah. But we are going to talk about skunks first because I think they are sort of the most famous in terms of their response when you piss them off. So, uh, I mean, everyone basically knows how it works, right? You You anger a skunk. You make a skunk feel like you are in their space, they will spray you with stinky stuff. So let's talk about what exactly happens uh, when you get sprayed by a skunk. So skunks generally don't want to spray you. They, they're they not like looking to, to stink you up. It's not hmm. like, the, you know, I know that you may think that if you have a skunk mechanism, like every problem when you have a hammer looks like a nail, every problem when you're a skunk looks like someone to get stink on. That's not good. It's not good. That's not a good saying, but whatever. So skunks will be very reticent to spray you because they kind of don't want to like have the confrontation get to that point and it actually costs them in resources. So 
when you agitate or scare a skunk, first they'll try foot stomping, which I love. Just <laughs> oh, angry so little cute. skunk stomping its feet. I know, I know. Yeah. It's adorable. It would make me want to hug them more, and then I would get sprayed. So then yeah. after the foot stomping comes hissing and puffing out its tail and curling it, its back like a cat. Uh, mm. You know, the, the classic cat response to when you've pissed them off when you're about like, 0.02 seconds away from getting your face ripped off. Mm-hmm. So if that doesn't work, if you're still like, I'm I'm gonna come up to this skunk and we're gonna be friends and I'm gonna hug it and and it's it's stamping its feet and hissing and, and you're just not picking up those social cues, they'll do a handstand showing it, it you its anal arsenal of scent glands. <laughs> and if that's not a clue for you to hit the road. They will then spray you. So the reason mm. they're actually hesitant to spray is they only have about five stink bullets in the chamber before they run out of juice. And it actually takes them over a week for them to produce enough to refill and recharge the anal glands. So th they don't want to use all that up if they can otherwise avoid confrontation. But they will as a last resort. Do they ever walk around just totally depleted? I mean, I, th that's a good question. I imagine so if they continue to get attacked by some mm -hmm. kind of like very stink-resistant <laughs> stink animal, they may in fact have that issue. In fact, we'll talk about an animal that they really do have to worry about because mm -hmm. uh, they are stink-proof. Um, so uh, the... Two stink glands on either side of its anus can spray a jet of the of the spray, spray a jet of the fluid uh, up to ten feet or three meters far, due to these really strong muscles that push on the glands. It's like a muscle that just like squeezes the gland like it's a turkey baster. <laughs> Enjoy. Oh so, my yeah. gosh! I'm looking at this picture. Oop, of that's, the skunk. That's is, is actually that... this is actually not a skunk. So that's really funny. I didn't include uh -huh. a picture of the skunk because it's like ah, you know what a skunk looks like, but that's not a skunk. And we're gonna talk oh, about that that fellow okay. in a minute. But this is I'm kind of um, uh, pleased to hear you say that because we're the interesting thing about that animal that yeah. we're gonna talk about is it looks exactly like a skunk. You'd think it's a skunk. It's and it, black it and white. It's right, not a skunk. the fluffy tail. Yeah, that's it's shocking. A, it's to a me. case of uh, parallel evolution. It's really interesting. So, well, now I've googled a picture of a, a real skunk, and I'm even more convinced these two animals are exactly the same. But they're <laughs> so cute. I mean, skunks. Yes. And I actually have a skunk that lives in my backyard. That like I have to be aware of and not go too close yeah, to. Yeah, give it its space. But they look like fluffy little cats. I just, they I wish. Cute. Do people have skunks as pets ever in the world? They do. They do. And actually, wow. there's a surgery thing that they do on these skunks that basically removes the, the anal glands so that they're not so stinky. Uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, people do keep skunks as pets. I wouldn't say, I mean, my general philosophy on pets is, you know, like, we already have cats and dogs, which are much easier to keep as pets. So why not just yep. do, go with the go with the animal you don't have to remove the anal stink glands from to have it be livable with you? 
But look, I mean, I think in terms of in, in terms of like exotic pets, they're not they're not like the worst exotic pets to have. It seems like they're they're pretty cute and there's not, yeah. I would say as long as you're not like bringing them somewhere where they're not like uh, they they're not a native species, so you're not potentially introducing an invasive species. Uh, you know, I, admittedly, I don't know too much about it, but like it's probably not like a terrible pet i don't really know but i i I wouldn't just get one on a whim (laughs) yeah yeah and i look i'm not trying to get a skunk as a pet but if Mm -hmm. anyone out there has one oh boy would i write in send me pictures let me know how it is i'd imagine they do like digging a lot so i imagine they really like to burrow so they're probably pretty destructive yeah like sort of like people who keep ferrets as pets they love to dig they love to rip things up so they're you have to know what you're getting into with these non-traditional or exotic pets is that they, they can be very destructive. They can have a lot of energy. And so you you don't want to like get a pet like that thinking it like it's just going to be like, oh, it's just a stripy kitty. And then it ruins your, your house. Uh, and then you like don't know what to do with it and, or like, you know, give it up yeah. because you, you weren't prepared for it. So yeah, uh, you know, you have to know what you're going to get into when you keep something like a skunk, which... <laughs> I think for most people, it's probably not an ideal pet, I'm going to say. Right, right. Very But they that. are adorable. In fact, there are so pet cute. skunks that are like albino pet skunks, and they're so cute because they got little pink Aww. nosies. Adorable. Aww. Yep. And their little their little toe pads are really cute, too. <laughs> they just got these little uh, puffy toe pads because they, they love, they dig and burrow, so they have these like tough uh, reinforced toe pads that makes it easier to dig and burrow, but they're very cute. Aww. Um, but stinky, and that stink is, uh, you know, it's no joke, the, the fluid that they spray out of their anal glands. It contains sulfurous compounds, and in addition mm-hmm. to being stinky, can irritate the skin and cause temporary blindness if it gets into the eyes. So Whoa. it's not just the foul odor, it's actually an irritant. So an animal that gets it on it will have a double whammy, the bad odor, and it'll sting and potentially even blind them for a little while. And wow. the stink is so potent that humans can detect it almost four miles away from the source, which is six kilometers. So, oh. yeah. It's ca- interesting. It's, so all the times I've smelled skunk, yeah. it might not be because there was a skunk nearby. Yeah. I mean, it's like it could be up to almost four miles away. Yeah. Which is, uh, like, immaterial, I feel like. Or <laughs> it's like, yeah, skunk's four miles away. I'm cool. That's a 30-minute drive in L.A. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yes. In L.A., like, you smell a skunk, and it'd take you an hour to get there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it, I mean, it is interesting because it really, when you think about how potent it is far away, like, to get a face full of this stuff. Now, I've never been sprayed by a skunk. I mean, I'm sure there are people who've actually experienced directly getting sprayed by the skunk. I mm-hmm. can't imagine it. It seems like I think I would just die because I have a pretty sensitive nose. I get a really strong gag reflex when it comes to bad smells. And I think I would just die instantly. Oh, yeah. And that it's so ingrained in you. Like you have to <laughs> right. use baking soda and hydrogen peroxide to get right. it out. Like it's I think, in your yeah. pores. I think my soul would leave my body just to escape this this. <laughs> Stink. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's such an effective defense that they don't have that many regular predators because most of them learn 
it's not a good time. The only animal they really have to worry about on a regular basis is the great horned owl because great horned Ah. owls do not have great senses of smell. They have incredible eyesight, incredible hearing, but they don't really rely on their smell. Mm -hmm. So to an owl like the great horned owl, it's no big deal if they get sprayed. So they will often eat skunks. So that is the one predator that they probably try to deploy these stink bullets over and over again, and it just doesn't have that much of an effect on them. Wow, that's so interesting. Who knew that in the animal kingdom, like the most powerful weapon would be smell? Yeah, it can be extremely powerful. In fact, it's we see this evolve over and over again, not just in the skunk, but in other animals. So um, like I was talking about earlier, when you when you cheated and looked ahead in the no, I'm kidding. I, <laughs> but you know, when did, you looked I at did. that when you looked at that image, that is not a skunk. That is a striped polecat. And okay. they are only distantly related. And this is a case of parallel evolution. So mm-hmm. it looks like a skunk. Uh, and it's not a skunk, it's not a cat, and I don't think it's a pole. Uh, I guess it's vaguely pole-shaped, but yeah. It is in the weasel family, including badgers, otters, weasels, ferrets, and more. And so they're a somewhat distant relative of the skunk. The skunk is part of the weasel super family, which is a larger category than just the weasel family. And the Weasel Super Family, which sounds like a great, like that sounds like a great new Marvel movie, the Weasel Super Family. The just Weasel a, Super Family. The family of super-powered weasels. I'd watch that. I would watch that. Weasels are, speaking of cute animals, I mean, weasels are really cute. They're Very like all cute. long. Yeah, like, like the weasel family includes things that aren't like, not what we would call weasels, like otters, badgels. <laughs> badgers, otters and badgers um, but weasels themselves are as cute as they are they are so deadly not not to humans but to other oh, animals really? they are surprisingly very effective carnivores and they can take down things that are bigger than them they can take down surprisingly like like they will take down birds of prey sometimes it's pretty incredible so Whoa. okay um, I have to ask this though so otters are in the weasel family, so they're not that related to dogs then, are they? Otters, I assumed no. otters were the dogs of the sea. No, no, otters are not that closely related to dogs. They are in the weasel family. Wow. Uh, they are not. Because they're so they, social. They're so like, right? look at otters and they're like linking arms floating. And I just, I was like, oh yeah, that's a dog on water. <laughs> they do seem, they do seem like the puppies of the ocean. I- interestingly, so pinnipeds, which are also like seals and uh, like other seal-like animals, the sea lion and walruses, those are all pinnipeds. And they, they also seem like they're the dogs of the sea, like the puppies of the sea, but they actually uh, while they are not in the weasel superfamily, they did branch off uh, <gasps> sort of from a common ancestor of the weasel superfamily. So, that, so that's they're kind closer of to weasels than dogs, sea lions. I think so. I believe so. Um, that's mind blowing. Yeah. That's earth shattering because they also look like puppies. <laughs> they do. They really do. Also, hyenas, not closely related to dogs, more closely related to felines than they are to dogs. What? Yep. <laughs> oh my that's, gosh. That's what's so crazy about um 
about like evolution is that you if you have a form that is relatively successful you'll see convergent and parallel evolution where either related distantly related or unrelated species will evolve similar traits as we'll see here in this this mm -hmm. stink section of the show so <laughs> like i was saying earlier they are distantly related to the skunks in that they're both part of the weasel superfamily. So that is a larger mm -hmm. grouping of species that also includes raccoons, red pandas, and skunks. Mm. Okay. So skunks live exclusively in the Americas, like, you know, people in North America and, and uh, we're certainly accustomed to skunks here. Um, while polecats live in the savanna areas of central, southern, and sub-Saharan Africa. They're about the same size as like a medium to small, smaller size skunk species and specimens. Uh, while skunks are omnivores, striped polecats are carnivores, uh, only eating meat. So they eat small rodents, reptiles, and insects. Skunks will also eat meat, but they will eat uh, vegetation and, and basically anything that they can find and put in their mouths and get, mm -hmm. get down there. <laughs> which I relate to. <laughs> They'll take anything. I like it. Low bar. Skunks are crepuscular, which sounds gross, but it just means more active at dusk and dawn, while striped polecats are active at night. They're nocturnal. Interesting. They look very similar. So striped polecats are black with white stripes or dark brown with white stripes, maybe a, little, a few white spots that run along their backs. Very similar to a skunk. I mean, it fooled you. And... I was convinced, and yeah. and it makes me wonder the times I saw. I mean, where are these? Where do you find these, are these striped only, polecats? These are only in uh it, on the African continent. <laughs> then so I have not seen. Probably them. I was haven't like, yeah, seen. Yeah, maybe I've seen them around, but, but they if, look. I mean, they look identical except yeah. their stripe pattern is just a little different. Like if I if one of these guys somehow made it to America and I saw it, I think it was a skunk. Like, you know, yeah. even even knowing about it, even with the foreknowledge <laughs> of this different yeah. species, I would still be fooled. They are very similar looking. You would stay away from it knowing it would spray you. Well, I mean, the thing is, they do. This is what's so interesting wow. is that not only do they look like a skunk, but they also spray like a skunk. And yet they have evolved independently. While they share a common ancestor, they're not like, you know, they, they didn't evolve branch off from skunks or something that's not why they right. look so similar they both independently evolved their their stripes their appearance and the spray and it's there's a reason that they both have this this uh black and white striped appearance and that is it's aposematism it's advertising that they have this capability of of uh of defensive spraying and wow you know unlike maybe other types of animals mammals struggle to have like super bright coloration. So having like a black and white pattern and in, in, uh, white stripes uh, is gonna be a very strong signal for a mammal who has sort of a more limited palette than say like, you know, you know, with like poison arrow frogs, they can be bright red or bright blue to advertise their poison. Mammals typically don't have that kind of color range. So um, interesting. So having a bold pattern and a very uh, huge contrast, which you can't get much more contrast than black and white, yeah. is a way for them to have a bold pattern that will warn potential predators that they actually have this feature. 
And so predators will learn, hey, when last time I tried to mess with one of these skunks in America, I got sprayed. So I learned the skunk pattern. And then an animal in uh, Africa will learn like, hey, last time I tried one of these polecats, it had this black and white pattern. I got sprayed. I'm not going to mess with them again. So mm-hmm. it's just so cool, though. It, it seems, it's like, how could this possibly be a coincidence? It's coincidence. It's not necessarily that it's a coincidence that they both evolved this way. It's that it's such an effective strategy that, yeah. uh, you know, and you give it you give it enough millions of years. It's, you know, it's a good chance it's going to happen. That's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing that these stripes are so functional. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, they are fashionable and functional. They're so, so fashionable. <laughs> they really are. And so they will spray anyone who makes them too uncomfortable. Uh, they will. They have a slightly different strategy than the skunks. I don't believe they do the handstand thing that uh, American skunks do. I think that they will arch their backs. They raise their tails sort of like a cat. Um and sprays anyone who gets too close with a noxious, smelly, and irritating fluid from their anal glands. So that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So you have these things that look so similar to a skunk. And while they do share a uh, distant uh, relative, uh, seem, I think the their evolutionary paths just were in terms of developing the stink spray and their stripes were relatively independent, which is so cool. Seems like it's a good life to be a polecat or a skunk because yes. most animals don't mess with you. Granted, right. you have to worry about the owl, but so do squirrels, I assume. Right. Like, I assume all the other rodents and everything have to worry about owls. So you just get and, to be yeah. like, you get to roam, you know? I feel like they yeah. probably have a little swagger. Probably also we should worry about owls more. I'm just saying. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> owls are terrifying. They really are. I mean, like, I love them. I love them. I love to be scared by them, but they are scary when you think about it. They are. The way their necks move, their talons. Yeah. We're actually going to talk about some owls later on in the show, so uh, okay, cool. prepare yourself for that. It's actually really cute. But um, <laughs> so th- this, uh, there's one, uh, a, a, like, to demonstrate how universal the, that stinky spray really is. Let's look at an extremely different animal than the skunk or the polecat. And this is the sea hare, which mm-hmm. is a species of sea slug, a sea-dwelling gastropod. They're called the sea hare because they have what looks like rabbit ears. These are really rhinophores. So they are scent taste receptors on their head that looks like a pair of bunny ears. Uh <laughs> Otherwise, their resemblance to a rabbit, I think, is rather vague because they look more like a slug creature with weird folds on their back. So when sea hares are agitated, they will release an inky purple or magenta-ish substance. It's actually beautiful. It's quite pretty looking, which is full of opaline and ammonium from ink glands in their mantle cavity. So just a quick like explanation of the anatomy of the sea hare. So the mantle cavity is the area sort of in the center of its body. It's inside of what looks like these like folded up wings like there or like flaps on the side of their body. Um, so it's like in there. Those skin flaps are called 
parapodia, and they, they can actually use them similar to wings when they're uh, swimming, but when they're just kind of like crawling around, they're usually folded up. And they look, it makes them actually look pretty plant-like because it's like, they look like these sort of, um, I don't know, just like like some kind of like Like they could be fern. kelp or something. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and speaking of plants, the ink, that that purple purplish ink is thought to be derived from red algae that they eat and the compounds they use in, in the ink is that they get from their diet. So oh, wow. what's interesting about this skunk spray of ink is it's a little different from other animals who use the defensive spray technique. So there's like, you know, from, from skunks to polecats to like you have stink beetles who do the same thing. You have some species of bird chicks vomit, defensive vomit at predators that's like stinky and irritating. So that like the stinky, irritating yeah. thing is a very common defense mechanism. Now, the thing the sea hares do is a bit of a honeypot trap. So they spray Ooh. this purple ink and it actually uh, attracts predators like lobsters who like to eat sea hares and they will try to ingest the stuff. So they, they like suck up this this ink not only does it distract them away from the sea hare, giving the sea hare an opportunity to escape, it actually clogs up their scent and taste receptors and makes it so that they can no longer smell. It's like it's like a reverse stink. It's the inverse of a skunk spray where it makes you not be able to smell anything at all. So, wow. Which yeah. you need in the ocean if you're some yes. sort of sea creature, I assume, because yes. that's how you're sensing things. Exactly. Yes, so so those those big antenna that that um, lobsters have that you always see waving around from you in in seafood restaurants, mm-hmm. they use those to kind of like smell or taste the water. They're they're chemoreceptors, so they can use them to hunt down prey. So if they get clogged by the compounds in this inky substance that the sea hares spray, they can no longer smell or taste anything, and so. Instead of going, continuing to chase after the sea hare, they're spending all their time, first of all, trying to clean this stuff off and just in total confusion. And like, you know, you suddenly have these major senses that you use to navigate and to hunt, like suddenly gone. You're, you're basically paralyzed until you can like figure out how to get, get rid of this stuff. I mean, this seems extremely effective. Yes. Do, does it, I mean, who's their owl? Who's their owl? That's a good question. You know what? I don't know. Humans, I don't know. Probably. <laughs> Humans. Yeah, for sure. Because we're just like, eh, whatever. We're the owls. Yeah. We're technically the sort of horned owls of the world in terms of yeah. just finding a way to best all animals at their defenses, which sounds like a compliment, but I don't mean it that way. I mean no, it as it's, an insult. It's- with great power comes great responsibility, which we have completely squandered. And, right. Um, We're no Spider-Mans. We're yeah. no Spider-Mans. Um, yeah, so it's it's really, really interesting. Uh, before we move on to the next section, just a couple of honorable mentions. Vultures, there's this factoid I see spread around that vultures vomit at predators or, or potential threats because they don't have that many uh, real predators, but they, they can get threatened, especially like vultures who live on continental Africa and compete like with other scavengers for food. But they actually don't 
projectile vomit, or there's not that much evidence that suggests they like projectile vomit on their rivals or their enemies in order to like get vomit on them. It's actually just like to lighten the load so that they can escape. <laughs> so if they're wow. being threatened by, you know, like like hyenas or lions or, or some, some competitor who's trying to attack them uh, when they're feeding on carrion, they will vomit, which makes them able to fly better because they, you know, they ingest an incredible amount of this carrion and typically it would make them more sluggish flyers. But, you know, they vomit it. Uh, it probably distracts the 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 enemy for a while too because it it you know it's like oh hey vomit and you know how much a- animals love to slurp at vomit so, they you know. love it ooh my dog loves it <laughs> and just one more honorable mention I think I've mentioned this before on the show the Scandinavian field fair birds are these communal birds who will protect their nests and youngs from ravens. By dive bombing them with poop. <gasps> wow, yep. that's awesome. Yeah, it's you know it, it's a it's a pretty crappy defense, but I mean that in a good way. Uh, yeah. And like the the poop, and I feel like I've mentioned this recently, but I, whatever, you can hear it again. The poop is actually slightly caustic, and it will break up the oil on a raven's feathers, and those oils on feathers are actually really important for flight. Being able to fly keeps the feathers organized in such a way that they basically remain sort of like a solid feather. Like, you know, like if you take a feather and you get it messed up, like if you if you yeah. take a bird feather and you put like soap on yeah. it, soapy water, totally. then it like, it all separates, all the, all the little filaments on the feathers separate. Uh, so that basically happens. So until the raven can get away, like if they continue to get pooped on, they are their life is actually in danger because it may make them incapable of flight until they dry off and get more oil on their feathers, which makes them very vulnerable to predators. So they do not want to be in this situation. So it's an extremely wow. effective defense, a, a community of people crapping on their enemies. So their enemy is the raven? Yeah, yeah. Birds fight that's other a, birds all the time. I just feel like that's some mean girl stuff. That's I like... Know. Hey, Raven, I'm going to screw up your feathers. <laughs> I'm going to poop on your feathers. It's like, oh, to be God. Fair, though, to be fair, though, the ravens probably are trying to prey on their nestlings, their babies. So Okay, well, it's <laughs> fine. It's justified. You can poop on someone who's trying to eat your babies. Yeah, yeah. Insert sure that's a raven agree. joke right here. But. <laughs> yeah. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, The CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. 
Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life, transform the world. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So we've talked about animals who use stink as a weapon. Let's talk about animals who use squeak as a weapon. That's, that's just my way of saying animals who use their vocalizations as a way to ward off predators or anybody who has given them a hard time. And yeah. the first one I want to talk about, I definitely have talked about on the show before, but it bears repeating often, and I love it so much. It's one of my favorite things. It's the desert rain frog, which one of my favorite animals. They are so cute. They are a frog that lives on the coast of South Africa and Namibia, and they are only about the length of a finger, but they are very round. They're just little, they, they look like blow up, like, balls. <laughs> they they, they look inflated. They look yeah. like you took a little uh toy frog i guess yeah. and just and it was made out of rubber and you just blew it up yeah and if you poked it it would explode <laughs> yes actually i i will <laughs> i will say that there are toads that do explode and this happens when ravens and crows oh. figure out that they figure out these birds figure out to how to like they love like a certain organ inside of the the toads and they will eat it and but they just like basically poke a hole in the toad and eat that one organ <gasps> that they like and leave the rest of them alone and That's then brutal so then the the fro the the toads will just explode when they like like basically fill up with air and <laughs> that is a horrifying way that's to just die. a side note that's just a side note uh yeah. but um so these guys, uh, even though they look like they're they're like little balloons that are about to explode, they they're not. They're they're fine. And so they don't hop because they're so round. They just waddle and they burrow into sand and try to absorb as much moisture as they can in in these sands along the coast. Mm-hmm. And th- when they're threatened, they squeak very mad, very big mad at you. And don't we all, you know? That's one I can relate to. I know. When I'm threatened, I will squeak. (laughs) Yeah. Just an angry squeak, too. So people know not to mess with me. Well, here is the squeak of an angry desert rain frog. (laughs) 
the cutest angry sound I've ever heard. I was expecting something a little more vicious. Yeah. That was delightful. <laughs> I know. Like if if this little desert rain frog was angry squeaking at me because I was getting close to it, it just would make me want to hug it more and be like, no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, here's this little blobby ball of a toad with like waddling around and squeaking so cute. I think this would have the opposite effect of its intention. I, I mean, I assume other animals just want to pick them up and squeeze them. <laughs> it must work. It must work. If it, if these this species right. is still alive, it must work in some manner, even if animals just feel sorry for it and leave it alone. I That's what it is. It's so sad. I mean, look, skunks have a good life, but these little... Frogs have a, they have a bad life. They have a tough life. It's hard to be so yeah. cute and adorable, you know. And, and to try, <laughs> as and I know, seem aggressive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's hard to well, be cute and scary. Another animal that is cute but must try to be scary are owl chicks, burrowing owl chicks. So burrowing owl chicks will mimic the sound of an animal much scarier than they are. So, you could say that owls well, that ends well for these baby owls. <laughs> More at 11. Beautiful. Poetry. Now, I do want to retract a statement I made, which was owls are terrifying. <laughs> because these owls are extraordinarily cute. Especially yes. these chicks. They look like if Fran Lebowitz was a small chick. <laughs> I, like they just have a they have a look on their face that is like I don't want to I don't want to mess with you. They look grumpy but cute. They are like middle school goths. I think is is that <laughs> yes. fair to say where they're like little babies? You know, like middle schoolers are are little babies. I'm sorry to any middle school schoolers listening, but you are cute little babies to me. <laughs> yeah, and. They have like this dark eyeliner around their face and, and they kind of have this like sort of like grumpy expression, but they're so cute. And they're black nails, you know. Yeah, yeah. They're black just nail like, polish. Nobody understands me. It's like, oh yeah, nobody understands you, little baby. <laughs> yeah. And and it's that with a fluffy body. Just mm-hmm. like a fluffy, just fluffy, fluffy yeah. body. Oh, so cute. I apologize to the world's middle school goths. Your 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 feelings are very valid, but you're also very cute. So. Yeah, and no disrespect, because look, I was a wannabe middle school goth. Right. I, no, me too. I like for was, sure. I tried, but it just came off dorky. <laughs> That's the best. That is the best, though. Yeah. So they are burrowing owls live on the American continent in grasslands and deserts. They are little owls who like to burrow. The name is, it's right, it's right there in the name, it's people. Right there. So because they're relatively small, they're, ch- so like I would say, um, they don't grow any bigger than like under a foot tall. Now, they must be the cutest owl species. <laughs> Five dollar foot long birds. But um, <laughs> the um, <laughs> the smallest owl in the world is actually called the elf owl. Uh, it is found in uh, in Texas, and it is another 
It's not actually a um, burrowing owl, but it, it likes to desert habitats and they like to live in woodpecker holes and inside mm-hmm. cactus holes. And they are, they, you know, fit in the palm of your hand. I've really come around on owls. I spent all this time thinking they were kind of scary, kind of creepy. Yeah. And I could watch these burrowing owl pictures. Uh, There is, there's a video, there's a video. I'll try to find it and include it in the show notes, but there's a video of someone releasing rehabilitated burrowing owls into the wild. And they use a tube. Basically, I, I believe they have like a tube that goes into the ground as a, as a, um, temporary burrow shelter for them to use. And they just like put the owl in the tube, put the owl in the tube. And like the owls are very grumpy looking. And so they're just sort of like nudging their little tushies until they go inside <laughs> of the tube. It's so funny. It's so that's, cute. That's what makes them so good. They just have <laughs> this permanent furrowed yeah. brow. A permanent angry scowl, but they're so yes. small and cute. It's hard to take them seriously. Yep. So... The little ones, the the nestling owls, have a bit of a problem because they're small and cute and probably very delicious to predators. So Mm -hmm. to ward them off, the baby owlets pretend to be a big, scary rattlesnake by making a sound. I will play for you right now. It's scary, right? That's terrifying, and it sounds like, what does that sound come out of? Their mouths. I mean, they're, I they're don't even... not, not necessarily their mouths, but like the, their, uh, their, their, their vocal. Throat. Yeah. That's a terrifying sound, and I just can't square <laughs> it with this picture I'm looking at of these I know, adorable, right? grumpy chicks. It's like, I take it back. They're not like middle school goths. They are like middle schoolers who listen to metal and, but like mm-hmm. dress like a total dork. And, um, but then like, we'll try to like go sing along with metal songs and go like, like, you know, do the death rattle. And then um, you look and it's this cute little kid with a rolly backpack and a bowl yeah. cut. This might yeah. be, this might be getting slightly autobiographical for me. <laughs> You are the burrowing owl. It's me. It's me, me in middle school. I do have to note to the listener because they they don't get to see this, but Anna has just brought the the pupper onto the screen with the little cone and it is I can the the dog is like looking at me like saying, "Look, look what she's done to me." Can you, she can you hates it so much. Can you believe this? What I've been, she's turned me into like a, a satellite dish. Can you believe this? And I tried to get her like a, an, a kind <laughs> cone because it's a little yeah, softer. Soft cone. She freaking hates it. Yeah, yeah. I wish, I wish all the listeners could see this because she does <laughs> look like an ice cream cone. <laughs> so, Another animal who is, <laughs> sorry, the dog is so cute. Another animal I think is very cute. This one's a little, the, the threatening nature of the animal is, is a little more um, tangible, is elephants. They are big and beefy, but they are really interesting, intelligent animals. Um, 
And they, because they are so intelligent, they learn about threats in their environment and they actually have ways to communicate uh, the, these, these ideas, these uh, warnings to other elephants. And in fact, elephants actually have a specific angry swear word for humans. <laughs> oh my God. Because we're the worst. No. Uh, researchers have found that African elephants have a specific low rumbling call that they make to warn their cohorts about the presence of humans. Mm -hmm. Because human poachers and farmers often shoot elephants, they learn to see humans as a potential threat. So much so, it seems they have a specific call just to say, oh, <laughs> humans. Oh, I love elephants. Man, they're just some nice animals who are mm -hmm. doing their best to stay away from humans and yep. not getting the respect they deserve. No. No. I, I do I I mean it's it's there's something like humbling about the fact that elephants like are so are so aware of our shenanigans that they're just yeah. like they they have I call it a swear word because even though technically there's no scientific classification of like swear words that like an elephant would use, to me, a word that's like, uh-oh, a human that is responded to by all the elephants like fleeing the area, that's a swear word. That's an elephant swear word. Oh, that's you know an elephant it. swear word. Yeah, you yeah, don't want to get called that if you're an elephant. No, That would no. be an insult. Right, right. Your, your mother yeah. is a human. It's like the biggest insult if you're an elephant. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Never forget it. <laughs> porcupines. Porcupines are most famous for using their spines as a defense when they're mad, but they also squeal to let you know they are unhappy. Aww. Especially females, if like a male is bugging her and trying to mate with her and she does not want anything to do with him. Like she has nothing to worry about because like porcupines consent is like vital for porcupines because wow. a male physically cannot mate with a female unless she wants him to because she will need to roll up her her tail and so that her spines roll backwards so the male can mount her without being impaled by her spines but if she's getting annoyed by a male continually trying to seduce her she will just start yelling at him so here are some squeals. I believe this is an angry female telling a male to piss off. Okay. <laughs> I can hear the exasperation in her voice where she's just like, come on. Yeah, it, it sounds less like angry and more just fed up. Like, yeah, I know, right? Just okay, like, go okay. away. Okay, all yeah. right, I get it. Now buzz off. I wow, love it. Wow, porcupines are just so relatable. <laughs> also relatable are screaming hairy armadillos. I mean, don't you have days when you just feel like a screaming hairy armadillo? Uh, every day. Every day. I'm always hairy, and I'm in my uh, head. I'm always screaming. Always screaming. Screaming internally. Uh, mm -hmm. When when Japan, because Japan did a much better job of getting coronavirus under control, like when they opened up their theme parks, I think like they were 
tell, like people had to wear masks uh and also they like had a sign that said like please scream internally um yes i it saw was, like, that it, like by screaming you're like you know spitting out uh spit so they want people to like scream internally and like i feel that so much <laughs> I feel it. Oh, it's like the theme of this pandemic. Just scream internally. We're all scream feeling internally. it, so just scream internally. Right. Well, screaming hairy armadillos scream externally as well. They are found in South America, and if you pick one up, they start shrieking like a mandrake. You know, the, the whole myth yes. of like you pick oh, up yes. a mandrake. It's in Harry Potter. It's in folklore. You know, it starts screaming. Screaming hairy armadillos are like real-life mandrakes. Um, and I believe I've talked about these on the show, but uh, again, I think that these, they're just, it's, I love the indignation of these guys. So I think it's worth hearing it again. So they're not particularly social. So it's unlikely that the scream is an alarm call to warn their buddies. It's probably just a car alarm effect. So by, by shrieking like this, they are attracting the attention of other animals. So if you have a smaller predator, who's probably afraid of larger predators or competition, and this car alarm starts going off in the form of this screaming hairy armadillo, you might want to like get out of there before someone else shows up. So here's what it sounds like. (laughs) That is also a cute sound, but I hear the anger in that one. Yeah. It sounds it sounds like a it sounds very much like a car alarm to me, like an angry car alarm. It really does. I wonder if mandrakes, like the mythology of mandrakes, come from these screaming hairy armadillos. You'd think it would. I, I don't. I I'm not sure because I think because these are found in South America. I wonder if there's like a mandrake legend that does uh, yeah. originate in South America. The European one. I, I would. I bet it's just because sometimes plant roots have that human look. So mm-hmm. we, we actually talked about that um, last time on the pod about pareidolia, where you see shapes, particularly human shapes and things yeah. that uh, have ambiguous patterns. So like if you've ever seen a particularly like messed up root or piece of ginger, ooh, ginger for me, like sometimes looks like little people. It freaks me out or like um, carrots, carrots that are like grown in your backyard and gets all weird and twisted like sometimes they look like little people because it looks like they have legs and arms yes and, like, their little legs shapes. are twisted like yeah they, they're sitting um exactly. with their legs crossed and so probably yeah. like you know these these um ancient europeans picked up some like like root vegetable it looked like a little human they're like mm, yep that's a demon <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a demon yep there that there's a demon <laughs> That's what I do whenever I find a carrot, a weird shaped carrot. It's like, yep. Now this is the work of the devil. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I and it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. I love carrots. Mm-hmm. Constantly eating devil carrots. Exactly. I mean, that's you know. Have you ever seen a rabbit um, possessed by Satan? It's because of all the devil carrots that they destroy. Right, and that's I mean, who hasn't seen a rabbit possessed by Satan? That- right. You look at a rabbit with its beady little eyes. Yeah. Those are Satan eyes. I don't trust them. I don't trust yeah. the, don't, never trust a rabbit. They're deeply involved in the occult. Yeah. And they're always so anxious. And I feel like it's because yeah. of the guilt. Coming out of, coming out of magician's hats. I, you know, that that's occult stuff. Yeah. It yeah. is.
Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So what do you do when... You're just a you're just a little boop in in nature, just a little a little cutie out there in in cruel mother nature, with not too many defenses to your name, and you're small, and maybe you're even delicious. Um, and you got a predator who's like, you know, you look pretty edible. Yeah, you just you got to bluff sometimes. You just have to. You got to lie. You got to say like, no, actually, I'm the scariest thing in the world. And this is called dimatic behavior or startle display, also known as bluffing. So this is when an animal uses a posture or behavior to bluff about its defensive capabilities. It's like a cat arching its back and puffing up to appear larger uh, it doesn't necessarily mean the animal is defenseless and can't defend itself at all, but it's overstating like how much of a threat it is to try to avoid confrontation. So like a cat can scratch you up pretty good, but when it's arching its back and puffing up, it's trying to make itself look bigger so that you're calculating like whether to confront this cat and you see this big, puffy, angry looking cat. And you're like, whoa, that's a big cat. I don't want to mm-hmm. deal with that. Mm hmm. So, um, I mean, one kind of like example of this is often butterflies, moths, caterpillars, even frogs will have these false eye spots. There are these big color spots that look like eyes. And when they kind of put those out there, it's to startle predators to think like, oh, my God, like there's these big eyes looking at me and it, it's meant to scare them away, even though 
you know, obviously they're not real eyes and the moth probably doesn't actually pose any real danger to the predator. And so I want to talk about some of my favorite <laughs> cases of dimatic behavior, starting okay. with the frill-necked lizard, also known as the frilled dragon. One of my favorite lizards. This is found in northern Australia and southern New Guinea. It's got a big attitude and big face flaps. I feel like having big face flaps is always a good good thing when you have a big attitude. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's kind of like you're wearing a big headdress. Yeah. So it just, like, demands attention. It's it's big Martin Van Buren energy with, with the, you know, the side <laughs> the sideburns that go all the way down to the neck. It's like, it, man. It very mutton chop, but, like, right. powerful mutton powerful chops. Mountain, ma- powerful mutton chops that just go out, like, several feet. Like, that, that to me, like, that sort of big Martin Van Buren energy. That, I just want to give you some credit for that analogy because I was like, oh yeah, Martin Van Buren, I kind of see that. But I Googled him and was reminded just how intense his yes cheek flaps are, his button chops. I yeah. mean they don't just hang. They fly out right. from either side of his face like a lizard. Right, exactly. And when he was threatened in the Senate he does actually push out his uh, mutton chops and yeah. rattles them, shakes them while shrieking. And that does ward Famously. off predatory senators. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> of course. So this frill-necked lizard uh, is relatively long. It's just under three feet long, including the tail. So it's a little under a meter long. It's, you know, it's not like a small lizard, but but that is including its tail. And it's not like, it's not beefy. It's not like muscular. So it's pretty skinny. It's relatively scrawny. So it's still vulnerable to predators. It lives in trees and it eats insects and small mice. But like, let's let's cut the BS. I know what everyone's here for. It is for the face frills, the neck frills. Yeah. They have big flaps of skin all around their throat, which they can spread like an umbrella when they feel threatened. So what they'll do is you 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 anger one of these guys, you scare them. They will do pull a Jurassic Park like that little that little dinosaur that got really mad at Newman. Yeah. They will open their mouths, which actually the inside of their mouths are like bright yellow. Um, and then their frill has this bright orange and red color to make it visually stunning. So it's just like suddenly, boom, big colorful umbrella opening up meant to startle predators. So this neck umbrella, as I like to call it, uh, is <laughs> supported by cartilage that is connected to the hyoid bone. So we have yeah. a hyoid bone. If you feel like between like the base of your neck and your chin, you'll actually feel like you. it's a symmetrical bone that's actually kind of shaped like a horseshoe. So you can feel like a thick, you know, be gentle. Don't choke yourself. But you, <laughs> you, know, you can mm-hmm. feel this bone on your neck. In these lizards, the hyoid bone is like elongated and that those elongated halves of that hyoid bone works like umbrella spokes to help expand the fr- the frill and s- then it's further supported by cartilage. So okay. basically, you know, it's sort of sort of like an umbrella <laughs> method of action. I keep calling it an umbrella. It works a bit like an umbrella. So yeah. not only is it used to fend off predators or competitors, it's also used in romance to seduce the ladies. <gasps> 
Oh, of course. Of course. Because it's beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're going to get dressed up, you don't want to waste it. Also, something Martin Van Buren would do during mating would um, would flap out his sideburns romantically. Yes. And he used that to um, attract females. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at those sideburns and I it mean, wouldn't. to me, I see attraction. I see seduction. Yeah. Those Just gray... Uh, <laughs> wiry bushy sideburns that he has i think the word you're looking for is a raw sexual energy (laughs) when i think martin van buren i think raw sexual energy. yes me too i'm glad i'm glad we agree on that yeah man who wouldn't want like a sexy umbrella dance from one of these lizards i'd be seduced oh 100 percent it's and you know you know this lizard can like protect you and take care of you right and like in the rain, you know, use his neck frills to protect you in the rain. I mean, I'm in. As as the history books tell us about Martin Van Buren, like it was noted he was quite a gentleman, used his mutton chops to shield ladies of the mm-hmm. Senate from the rain. I'm joking, of course, because women weren't senators back then. <laughs> oh, yeah, they... Uh... Weren't even allowed close to the. They weren't house even of allowed to leave the house. So, yeah. one more owl in this episode. This is the Eurasian eagle owl who puffs up like an angry cat. Now, what's interesting about this owl is they're quite big already. Uh, so, they grow up to be about two and a half feet long, which is about 75 centimeters. And they have a wingspan as tall as a full-grown human, with about six feet or 1.8 meters. And they, uh, despite being relatively big, they will still use a threat display when they feel upset, upsetty spaghetti, uh, <laughs> or when they feel <laughs> threatened. So it's this is evidence that like these these dimatic displays, these these startle. Uh, displays are not just for animals that like are defenseless like Eurasian eagle owls are are do have a lot of defenses they are quite large but still they want to avoid confrontation where they can so if something a, a larger predator is threatening them or even another Eurasian eagle owl they will use this defense so you know they it's just like puffing up like a big angry cat I, I do yeah. believe Owls are the, the kitty cats of the sky. Yes, because they're so grumpy. They're very grumpy. I perceive grumpy. them to be grumpy, and I honestly perceive, I love cats, but they're grumpy. They are very grumpy. I love cats, too. That does not mean that they aren't perpetually crotchety. <laughs> yeah, they are. Much like, much like owls. Um, I would say, like, owls... This is not to say that owls make good pets. I'm sorry what Harry Potter has taught you. They're not they're not great pets. Some they're not people- loyal like in Harry Potter cuz <laughs> Hedwig was loyal. Right. I mean like how loyal is a cat? Take that True. and like cut it by like 75% and you got yourself an owl. But yeah. I mean like some people do keep owls as pets. I just personally don't think that it's a great idea uh because they, you know, they need like a lot of space to fly around and to be able to hunt and stuff. And so I don't really think they make ideal pets. Feels a little cruel to have an owl as a pet because yeah. they live to hunt and fly. Yeah, I think that, you know, birds of prey, raptors have a very like 
they're i don't think they crave human affection they may enjoy like right. i have definitely seen uh birds getting their heads scratched and stuff but like um you know they they may enjoy some of the things we can provide them like food shelter and like acceptable levels of head scratchies but there's a lot that they need and so Mm-hmm. I, I think that like, I think there's a whole thing like after Harry Potter, a lot of people wanted to keep owls as pets. And it was a big problem Ooh. because they were not expecting, you know, they were expecting the kind of owl situation in the fantasy books where the owls are magical and get you mail and stuff. But like, right. And no. just hang out in their tiny little cage. Yeah. And that's that. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I, I wouldn't say that there is no circumstance in which an owl can be kept by someone in a way that's like humane like I I think there's probably ways like that you can have animal husbandry where people keep owls but they have enough space for them to fly around and like they it's not like a tiny cage and stuff and they're well aware of their needs and stuff but I would say in most like oh I want an owl in my apartment it'll be great it'll be just like Harry Potter don't do it (laughs) Yeah. And the people I know who have birds as pets, I'm thinking specifically of one friend, that bird that she has, I guess, is like a cockatiel. Cockatiels are the ones with like little red cheeks and a little yellow whoop on. I feel like that's what she has. And it's so social. The bird like Mm -hmm. loves her and nuzzles her and stuff. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, that I see. Yes. But the owl, I don't. You get birds nothing. of prey. Birds of prey are not very social. Parrots, yeah. Uh, uh, generally speaking, like parakeets, uh, cockatiels, cockatoos, highly social. In fact, like that. That's what's interesting to me about keeping uh, parrot species as pets is that they require huge amounts of attention and affection. So, like, that's a whole other thing where I wouldn't say they make bad pets, but you have to think about them as a huge responsibility, not just in caring for them, but the amount of stimulation, attention, and just general entertainment that they're going to need. I-, I think it's probably even more than a dog. And you know how dogs need constant attention and affection. Like bird, like some bird species, like some types yeah. of cockatoos and uh, macaws and parrots. Uh, I mean, spe- like one of the most... Um, needy of like intellectual stimulation are African gray parrots and they also I would say often need to be kept with another uh parrot of the same species as a companion so they are a huge huge responsibility I think uh, a lot of bird owners will agree with that that they some of them like have intelligence that's uh, similar to a toddler so yeah and they will act like a toddler and they have beaks that can like crush shell um nuts open so um Ooh, yeah you don't want to get yeah. bitten by that yeah yeah so it's a you know big responsibility f- even for parrots who i think can be happy with human owners if they're treated well yeah. um but something like a bird of prey like an owl i think it's not that there would there's no way to like have an owl in captivity and have it have a good life but it's it would be it's hard, hard very hard to do yeah, I'll stick with my dog. <laughs> yes, I will stick with a dog, and then maybe I'll get a cat and like put little yeah. owl wings on it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> give, that's give the same the thing, right? Cat the furrowed brow, like give him the little angry mm-hmm. eyebrows. I mean, that's yeah. not hard with a cat; they already kind of do that. They do. 
Well, one last animal to talk about before we go are phasmids, which sounds like we're going to start ghost hunting, but really they are just stick bugs. So stick bugs are a group of insects who include things like, you know, the, the stick bug that you think of from a bug's life that just looks like a long, thin stick. Some are green, some are brown, uh, some are actually leaf-shaped. Some are tiny, mm -hmm. but some can be like the length of your forearm. So there's a huge amount of diversity within the phasmid species. And some even have wings and can fly. And some have little wings that are only used as a display. And they have some really interesting uh, startle display behaviors. So hmm. they do like to rely on camouflage. So the, you know, like, hey, I'm a stick. Like, yep, don't bother of me. Of course. That's and a they very, do look very convincing as sticks. Very much like sticks, exactly. <laughs> and the, the ones that are sort of more leaf-shaped, it's like, hey, I'm a leaf. Or like, hey, I'm a thorny like branch. Like, just leave yes. me alone. Leave me alone. But um bum <laughs> But if that doesn't work, uh, they will resort to a startle display. So here is an example. Perufasma shulti of Peru is a black stick bug, which may kind of look creepy and threatening to us because it's this jet black long bug with these bright yellowish green eyes. Uh, but, you know, it it's that's doesn't necessarily translate to innate fear in animals who want to eat it. So, okay. and they are actually not threatening to humans at all. They just like to sip on nectar. If they are threatened by a predator... They will flash their wings, which, while comically small in proportion to their body and useless for flying, they actually have this bright red coloration that can be used to startle a potential predator. So it's just like someone's trying to sneak up on you and eat you, and you suddenly turn around and you flash these red flags at them to scare them off. Kind of like bulls, right? Yeah. They, they do the red to make, I guess... It makes bulls angry, but still. Something about the color reds, interesting that it has this reaction well, in the animal kingdom. I mean, it's interesting because I think with the, it's a bit of a myth with bulls that the color red agitates them. I think it's just really? the... Yeah, I don't even think they can really like distinguish red that much from other colors. It's probably just because red is bright enough that they can see it pretty well. It's it's more the, it's not specifically red, it's just the action of the bullfighter waving something at them and, and agitating them. So they're just antagonizing them. Uh, interestingly- I fell, I fell for the misconception. Yeah, you, you fell for it, you fell for it. But, uh, but in, it's not like a dumb thing to think because like bees actually do get agitated by the color red actually because oh. red and black are very similar to them. And when they see black, they think about animals who will invade their nests like bears or, or badgers or something that uh, mm -hmm. have that dark coloration. And they're like, oh, this is, this is going to invade my nest. So if you wear a red shirt and you go and poke a beehive, they're going to be, be pissed. Oh, that's really good to, because, you know, I poke a lot of beehives. Um, yeah, so it's good I know. to know. I know it. I'll wear like, Yellow. Yeah. I've been meaning to talk to you about maybe not poking so many beehives, but... Yeah, you know, I, I just want to hang out with them. It's not from any malice. The right. Bees are dying. I'm just trying to see what's up. Basically so. knocking on their front door, being like, hey, bees, you want to hang? Exactly. 
that they never see it that way, but that's what right. Halloween is. Right. Well, you know, just keep trying. <laughs> yeah, definitely. One more thing about the Prue-Phasma stick bugs is that they do have one defensive mechanism, which, again, is an irritating liquid. So that skunk, that skunk technique is so popular. So it's an irritating liquid they can spray from a gland near their heads. So they will do that if nothing else works. Um, there are other species of phasmid who will accompany the flashing of colorful wings with actually rubbing the wings together, which is called stridulation, which creates a buzzing sound like a bumblebee to scare off enemies. Ooh, I, I don't know. That's, that's a little spooky. They're like, I mean, it's like angry little noisemakers. Like, you know yeah. how you have the, like, like noisemakers that like do colorful things or like clacking two like colorful fans together to to scare something off. So it's kind of festive and menacing, menacingly festive. Yeah, yeah, they're like little maracas. <laughs> Tiny, spiny leaf bug nymphs. Let's talk about that. They, they sound cute, don't they? And they are to me. They so, sound cute. They yes. don't look cute. I'm sorry to the insect lovers <laughs> of this podcast, but I, think- I struggle with bugs. I understand, but I think they look a little cute. Maybe I can win you over. So okay, the the nymphs, which is basically the baby version, will are they're quite small and you know about like le- less than the size of like your your thumb, like half the size of your thumb. I don't actually know how big your thumb is, but you know under an yeah. inch long, little little guys. They can yeah. actually and they they can start off being quite a bit smaller too. In fact, they can be close to the size of an ant. And because they're so small and they are potentially delicious to some sort of insectivore, they will curl up their posteriors, which makes their abdomens look round instead of the skinny kind of stick bug shape that they are. So predators will confuse them for an ant. And nobody wants to mess with ants because you know how ants are. You like mess with one. They call their like 5,000 sisters who come over and yeah. like give you a stern talking to and bite you. Yeah, they, they roll deep. <laughs> okay, I made a mistake. I think that's very cute that they curl their butt. And I Google image searched these spiny bugs. And I accidentally found a giant spiny stick bug. Yeah, the adults, I can I I think they're cool, but I wouldn't describe them as cute. I would describe them as interesting. The giant ones are the size of a human hand. And that's a big <laughs> yes. bug. That's a yeah. big bug. So spiny leaf insect adults uh, ha- have a little bit more money where their mouth is in terms yeah. of startle displays. So they, first of all, release an odor that I guess smells like toffee which is meant to ward off predators, but for me, it would have the opposite effect. Like, I'd be <laughs> like, hmm, someone's cooking something, making some cookies. Yeah. So they do have sharp spines all over their bodies and on its rear legs. So they curl up their abdomen, similar to the babies, but instead of making them look like an ant, it just makes them look bigger and chunkier and more threatening. And it's like, since they're all covered in spines, it's like displaying all these little little spikes, which normally are used as a form of camouflage to make them look like a thorny branch. Uh, and, and But once they are discovered, like, hey, you're not a branch, you're an insect, and they're like, aha, but I still have all these thorns, so you better not <laughs> bother me. 
And so they will basically like move their back legs like pincers as a threat display and they they do like they can't actually poke you with them and like a thorn they can't actually hurt you so yeah. uh you know th- they're it's just because it's a bit of bluffing like overstating how dangerous they are doesn't mean they can't do a little bit of damage yeah so they're not real pincers they just make it look like pincers right but they're back That's- legs and they're covered in spikes so they work like That's them pretty yeah <laughs> enough enough for me to stay away exactly before we go i do want to do show you this artwork that i found that is by an artist named nicole banowitz who does inflatable artwork so it's like Mm -hmm. big inflatable costumes and this she has all sorts of like weird it's like sort of organic horror sci-fi looking stuff and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll include a link in the show notes or you could google uh, Nicole Banowitz uh, and this is called distended defense a dimatic behavior so what we're talking about and it's a person in like a costume that it has just a bunch of like inflatable spikes and then what looks like a scorpion stinger coming off of her head. Looks a little bit like a thing from like the thing, you know, the, the titular thing from the thing. It uh, does. It looks like a kind of like an alien. Yeah, like a white alien. Yeah. But, but creature, like a like a bug, just really big. It's an uncomfortable looking costume but it's i guess it's all inflatable so it's not actually too spiky but yeah i I just i love that so this artist's work is inspired by actual evolutionary biology so by a dimatic behavior and she's got all sorts of art in there which i think is really interesting but yeah I, i love that i love it when artists are inspired by nature in interesting ways i mean they're beautiful it it is kind of spooky and scary looking these costumes but they're also just gorgeous yeah yeah and how cool to be inspired by these like natural systems of defense and to use it for art no exactly i love it so that's i wanted to share that with you guys because i think it is really cool well anna thank you so much for joining me today this was so fun this was so i learned so much I feel a little more like inspired to handle my angry dog right now because, you know, she it's, it's not her fault. Now she's yeah. got like a little lizard face flap situation going on with the cone. Yeah, just tell her she looks like Martin Van Buren and she'll know exactly. what you mean. And she, she'll know what I mean. We'll take it as a compliment. Yeah. 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 So thank you so much. Yeah. I'm glad we could work through some anger issues here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think exactly. As you saw, she's just. She's in a mood. We've made a lot of progress today. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at badcomics with an X by Anna with two N's. Um, But if you just Google badcomics, I'm usually the first person that pops up. And um, I'm on Twitter, the same handle. And hit me up with your dog cone stories if you've been through this before because I just like feel so I feel so sorry for her you know (laughs) I just want to help seeing her get stuff stuck in the cone is really pathetic 
She's an angry little cornhole. She is. And she's a dachshund, so she's already like so <laughs> just. Chip on her shoulder. Yeah, yeah. so stubborn. <laughs> you can find me on the internet at Creature Feature Pod on Instagram, at Creature Feet Pod on Twitter. That's F E A T, not F E E T. That's something very different. <laughs> you can email me your listener questions, creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com, and your pictures of animals. I love to see them. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to leave a rating or review, that actually really, really helps the podcast, tells the algorithm that, hey, we're a good podcast. And also, I read them all, and I really appreciate it. It, it really makes my day when I get a nice review. So thank you so much for listening. And thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Wherever you listen to your favorite shows. See you next Wednesday. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.